Good morning. The perfect man. How many of you, that reminds you of something? Does <laughs> that remind you of last week? Okay. Well, um, as uh, Brother Jesse was preaching last week, I thought, oh, we get to hear about the perfect man two weeks in a row because I had already picked my title before he was here. And I begin to think, uh, well, I don't know, should we hear about the perfect man twice in a row? And I decided that if being the perfect man is what we're all trying to be, then it shouldn't matter if we hear about it twice in a row. <laughs> because really, that seems to be the, the one thing that all of our hearts are set on, right? To becoming perfect. So it shouldn't be... A, Shouldn't be bad to hear it twice. And also, I'd like to say that uh, uh, this is by no means a comeback to what Jesse was saying. Uh, I'm not responding in any way to what he was saying. This was picked before he gave his message. And I thoroughly agree with what Jesse shared last week about the book of James. Uh, troubles, trials that come into our lives. They have a perfect work, and that perfect work is to make a perfect man. And uh, I fully endorse that and agree with that completely. All right, well, as I was thinking about the perfect man, I also thought, well, that might bring up some other ideas in your mind, too. It did in mine, at least, if you're looking at just the title one of the first things that pops into my man, mind is the perfect man. Who was? Jesus. Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ was the one perfect, sinless Son of God. Uh, we could spend all morning talking about him and his supremacy. Uh, we have a whole book of Hebrews that talks about that and how he is better than Anything before him and anything after him. and uh, He brought us a, a better covenant and he's a better priest and he's, he's better everything. We spend all morning talking about that, but that's not my message either this morning. Well, we could think of the perfect man as being an oxymoron, uh, meaning the, something that does not exist uh, outside of Christ. Because uh, Romans, I think it's in uh, Romans chapter 3, he says that there is none righteous. No, not one. So, perfect man, does that even exist? Is there anybody beside Christ that's perfect? According to Romans, no, not one person makes the absolute perfection that God uh, is. So in that sense, we could talk about that being an oxymoron and, uh, and the, the thing that uh, all of us have gone out of the way and come short of the glory of God. Or that could lead us to talking about justification. You know, seeing that we're not justified and not righteous, we can be made righteous. That's a very interesting study. 
We could talk about that. Justification by faith. Believing what God has promised makes you perfect. Very interesting. We could spend all morning talking about that. We could spend all morning talking about how works. You know, the book of James says, you know, works show makes your faith perfect. Without works, faith is dead. Being alone. So we could spend a lot of time talking about that. But that's not my uh, that's not my message either this morning. The inspiration for this message comes to me because uh, I began to uh, read through the I have a program that uh, is to help me read through the Bible in a year. And it led me to the book of Job. And as I was going through Job, I saw some things that I thought that's really Really nice. And I'm going to share some of that. I hope it's inspirational to you. Maybe some of you are on that same program. Maybe you've been through the book of Job recently. And uh, if so, that's that's great. I hope that I won't bore you. But I think there are some very interesting things about Job. Job is a very unusual book and, uh, and shows us some things that are uh, perhaps nowhere else in the Bible uh, shown to us. Now, I realize that, uh, you know, some people don't really like the book of Job. Uh, they say that Job is, the book of Job is just one big long argument and they get tired of it. You know, it's just, you know, there's this wrangling back and forth between four men and, uh, and it's just one big long argument. And I get that. I understand that. But uh, I'm not going to be focusing on the argument. Okay. That's not my point this morning. There's something very interesting about Job, the book of Job. And well, first of all, uh, when did Job happen? Uh, does anybody know when Job lived? You know, it kind of stands alone in the Bible. It doesn't really have any other ties, much ties to it. The only thing that we do know about the book of Job is a few of the details that are there in the book itself. If you turn to the book of Job, verse 1, it says there was a a man in the land of Uz. Do you know where Uz is? (laughs) Again, I'm not sure where where Uz was. Uh, It does sound a little bit Chaldean. It it sounds like it may have been from that area, although that's a little bit of of an assumption. And uh, it does sound a little bit like this might have been in the time of somewhere around Abraham, perhaps. At least one thing we know is that his wealth was measured by animals. Okay? It seemed like he had a very large uh, bunch of animals. Uh, and that's pretty much where we, uh, you know, about all the ties that we can put together there about when that was. But his substance was so very, very great. If you read in verse 3 here, he had seven thousand sheep I don't know uh, would you have room for seven thousand sheep on your farm David uh, wherever you are uh, yeah that's a lot of sheep isn't it I mean seven thousand and not only just a sheep farmer he also had camels he had three thousand camels just think about that a little bit and five hundred yoke of oxen that would be at least a thousand oxen and 500 she-asses, and a very great household. I guess he had a lot of servants to take care of all of those animals. 
I don't know what his spread was. I don't know. I, I mean, I, when I look at all that and I just think, wow, that's, that's, that's kind of hard to comprehend all of that. He had seven sons and three daughters. And what did those seven sons do? Anybody know? Yeah, it looks like they partied. It says everyone in his own day. And according to some scholars, they kind of think that perhaps since there were seven sons, each son took one day of the week and they partied every day. You know, son one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, back to the first. And the three sisters got a ride for free and they partied for, you know, continually. I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, but it seems like he had enough of finances to do that. You know, he could have actually probably done that because he was very, very rich. If you think about that. So maybe these sons were just partying every day. Well, all of that is kind of little details, okay? But what's outstanding about this is the man that God says was perfect. That's where my title comes from. The perfect man. Now, anybody else that would have called him perfect, I'd say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. But since God says he was perfect, then I guess he was perfect. Right? I guess he was perfect. There was a man in the land of us, and that man was perfect and upright. And one that feared God and eschewed evil. That's what God says about him. Okay, later on it says that when God, and this is another interesting thing about Job. I don't know if you knew that uh, there's a spirit world going on all the time. But, you know, there's a, if you look down in verse six, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord And Satan came also among them. I don't know if you knew that that all happens. And I don't know how regularly that happens. It might happen every week. It might happen every day. I don't know. But one day, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, I guess for their orders or whatever they do there, Satan was there. And the all-seeing eye of God misses nothing. He saw Satan and he said, what are you doing here? Where'd you come from? And... Satan had his shifty answer. He said, well, I, um, I was going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down it. And I just uh, sort of happened the chance to come this way, I guess. You know. you know, God's never put off. And God's never taken by uh, surprise. And God said to Satan, well, got a question for you now. Since you've been up and down in all the earth. Did you see Job? Did you see Job? Satan, I'd like you to take a look at him. Job is this man who is perfect. It's amazing. Have you considered my servant Job, verse 8, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect And an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. 
God is showcasing his beloved Job. You know, there's an awful lot of honors to be had out there. I, I don't know. I hope most of you aren't sports fans, and I'm certainly not a sports fan, but uh, I guess recently the Eagles maybe or something won the Super Bowl. At least that's what people tell me. I didn't watch it. Uh, but, you know, that was a big moment for those Eagle fellows, right? I mean, they won the Super Bowl. Oh, 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 you know? Yeah. And there's other honors. Right now, I guess the Olympics are running or something. People train for the Olympics. They train and they train and they train a year, three years, five years, sometimes longer. And they run the Olympics or whatever they do in the Olympics. And somebody gets a gold medal. And that's a big day. That's a big day when they get an honor like that. Where this, you know, pretty big day. What would you give for an honor like that? Would you practice for a year to get an honor like that? Some people think that's worth it. Put it to it, you know. Get that recognition. Well, I want to tell you something. Here is an honor that is far, far better than any Olympic gold medal. Far, far better. I mean, this, for God to say this of you, that you are a perfect and upright man, fearing God and eschewing evil, this is the blue ribbon of blue ribbons. Right? Can you think of any honor any honor bar none that is better than this. I can't. For God to say, this is a perfect man is an honor beyond anything else I know. Okay? Beyond anything else I know. How much would you give to have an honor like that? How much would you be willing to sacrifice? How much training would you go through? How much perseverance would you put into your learning in order to get this honor of honors above all else? Would you give a year for that? I would. Five years? Sure. A lifetime? By all means. It's an honor beyond all honors. And it's available. It's available for you. You might not feel that way about it. But feelings are not very accurate. Feelings have a problem. They often lead us wrong. This thing about records, world records, Guinea's Book of Records. You know, when somebody makes the Guinea's Book of Records, they're, you know, they get that honor. And what happens to that honor in about three years? You know what happens? 
It goes to somebody else. <laughs> you know why it goes to somebody else? Because what they did when they set the record was they proved it could be done. Right? Now this person, you know, maybe, uh, you know, jumped, uh, let's just say a high jump or something, you know, he, he jumped, you know, so many feet in the air, came down and didn't kill himself. Set a record. I mean, he pole vaulted, and he came down and lived through it and got the world's record. Well, he proved that could be done. And you know what? Somebody else is going to say, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to exceed it. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to practice. I'm going to train. And I'm going to work at it until I can push it at least an inch further. Okay? And he works at it and works at it. In about three years or so, he breaks the record. Okay? Well, folks, Job set us a record. Is there anybody here that's willing to break the record? Okay? You know what? This is also available for you. And you've got a huge advantage over Job. You've got a huge advantage. Not only do you have a record to break, <laughs> well... You don't even have to break it, but you can at least come up to it. Not only do you have a record, but you have everything that's needed. According to the word of God, you have everything that's needed to be perfect and righteous and holy in this world. In the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this brokenness that we live around, in the midst of all the trials and tribulations And friends that discourage us. And friends that, you know, tear us down. Job had a few friends that tore him down too. Right? Yeah, you're not a stranger to the book of Job, are you? Job's friends. Even his wife. I don't know what gets closer to a man than his wife. But, you know, his wife came to Job and he said, she said, foolish woman, she said, Job, you're such a miserable wretch. Why don't you just up and curse God and have it over with? Curse God, he'll just strike you dead and that'll be the end of your misery. What was she thinking? Job was not put off by his foolish wife. And he told her, he said, that's dumbness. Would I not? I mean, I got everything good from God. And can I turn away from God just because of a moment of things that aren't quite so good? That's ridiculous. I'll not curse God. Yeah, I think Job was demonstrating. This was a demonstration. By the way, this whole book of Job is a demonstration. This whole book, we happen to know the inside story, don't we? Uh, We read it here in the first chapter. We read about how Satan was there before God and 
And God told him the inside story, which I don't think is anywhere else written in the Bible. And we don't know of anybody else that's been uh, handled quite like that. Although it might happen all the time. In fact, you might be this morning under the same test. Did you ever think about that? This morning you might be demonstrating whether or not you have true faith in God. Well, anyway, we got this story about Job. God said Job was a perfect man and Satan said, I don't believe so. I'll put it in my own words. Satan said, nah, nah. Satan's only doing what he's doing because uh, he's your pet. You prospered him. I mean, you know, this guy's got cattle out of his ears. Uh, he's got money to beat the band, they say. And that's why, that's why he honors you. He knows which side his bread's buttered on. My friend, do you know which side your bread's buttered on? And just perhaps, perhaps, I miss asking this question, not blaming you, but, but perhaps you do the things you do because your bread is buttered. Did you ever think about that? Are you a Christian because God blesses you? Are you a Christian because you know that's the, really the best way to go? I mean, you know, fight God and you're going to, you know, not be so well. Are you a Christian because it's profitable to be a Christian? Uh, I don't know. Maybe some people are. But this was the accusation that Satan had about Job. He said, Job is a good man because he's blessed. And if you didn't bless him like that, he wouldn't be anywhere near what you think he is. And God said, wrong. I know Job. I know who he is. And I know if you take everything from him, he'll still be that way. I can prove it. Go ahead, take your stuff. And I'll show you. I'll demonstrate to you that this man is perfect. And he loves God. And he doesn't love his money. He doesn't love his cattle and camels and all that kind of stuff. He's not in this world for all those things. He's my treasure. And I can prove it. Well, Satan said, we'll see. We'll see about that. I don't know. But Satan is awfully good at arranging things. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But Satan arranges stuff. And Satan so arranged the loss of all of Job's things in such a fantastic way that it looked like the work of God himself. Did you notice that was not an accident. That was not an accident. Satan chose to take all of his things in a day. To make it so dramatic that it would look like the very stroke of God upon him. 
And even Job didn't catch it. As smart as Job was, Job himself actually thought it was the hand of God against him. And he couldn't figure out why. Now, this is a blessed thing about Job. Job had a perfectly clear conscience. A perfectly clear conscience. And when all of these things happened and Job's mind began to reel and he went back over all of the things that he did. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Let me give you another illustration. What happened to Joseph's brothers when something bad happened to them? Their mind starts going, I know what happened. Right? You know why this is happening to us? Because we're guilty. We, uh, remember Joseph, you know, remember what we did to Joseph? And God's bringing revenge on us. And that's why. That's how your mind fills things in. Right? Something bad happens. Why, why, why? Oh, 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 oh. But you know what? Job was so perfect and so good and up to date that Job went back over. What did he find? A blank sheet. A blank sheet. My friend, if something tragic happened to you today, and you felt like the hand of God was upon you. And your mind would start, what, 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 what did I did wrong? Could you come up with anything? You know, probably most of us could probably figure out something we did wrong. Right? Job's conscience was clean. Nothing on it. He was up to date. He had a pure, clean slate. And he couldn't find one thing that he needed to repent of. No wonder God said he is a perfect man. No wonder. I look at Job here in this first chapter. And I see what Job was doing. Did you notice that? Verse 5. When his sons were going about their feasting. Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be, just maybe that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so God, so Job made a sacrifice and mediated for them just in case. Wow. Do you pray for your children like that? Mamas and daddies here today. Do you pray for your children like that? Every day Job got up and prayed that God would be merciful if his children were not perfect. That's uh, pretty special. Every day, Job paid the price for sin, for his children, for himself and for his children. Every day. Continue. Thus did Job continually. 
Maybe that's why some people think it was week after week. It was at least a week long, you know, at least seven days. But Job did that and did that and did that. What devotion. I, I challenge you this morning. I challenge myself. What kind of devotion do I have? What what amount of devotion to God and his kingdom do I have? Do I really want this with all my heart? I'm afraid sometimes I come up a bit short. You can pray for me on that. Oh, well... Do you think that perhaps Romans 3, there is none righteous, no, not one. Do you think that perhaps does not did not pertain to Job? Do you think Job never sinned? How many think Job never sinned? No takers on that? I don't either. I believe Job probably sinned like some of us have. What the difference is. Job was up to date. Every time he realized, oh, I have sinned, he turned back to God. Made his sacrifice, did his repentance, asked for forgiveness, and God made him perfect. I know sometimes it seems difficult to live the Christian life perfectly. I know. And sometimes in our flesh we get the feeling like, I don't know if I can make this. Do you know that that Job feared that too? Yeah. Job actually feared that. Uh, He says here, a little later on, the thing that I feared has come upon me. Do you know what Job feared? He feared that he wouldn't be perfect before God. That's what he feared. And he tried hard in every way to be perfect with God. Sacrificing often, praying, you know, putting himself to a multitude of tests. And he feared that perhaps I won't be righteous enough. And though he tried his best, he thought he failed. He didn't know how he failed. He wasn't aware of any way that he failed. He had taken care of everything that he could think of. But he figured, I must have come short. I must have come short. Somehow, I have no clue how, but I must have come short. Well, in this in this area, Job was mistaken. Job had not come short. It just looked like he was short. Job had not come short. And in fact, God had declared him righteous. But Job didn't know that. Job hadn't heard God say this to Satan. Job hadn't heard the conversation that went on when the sons of God came to present themselves before God. 
Job hadn't heard that God was absolutely delighted in him. That God said, this man is, is sterling, sterling pure, none like him. He's perfect. I wish every, every man was like this man. This world would be a different place if it was, really. All right. Job hadn't heard that. And because Job hadn't heard that, he made an assumption that was wrong. He made an assumption that I'd missed it. Somehow I've missed it. I haven't done my duty. And he got a little upset about that. He would love to have God come and tell him. Could you please just tell me what I need to repent of? I, 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 I repent if you just tell me what it is. I'm totally unaware of what I did wrong. But I hold nothing back. That's in my own words where Job was. What a wonderful man. Somehow I hope all of you in your hearts deeply desire to be that kind of person. Somehow I hope you really long with all your heart to be like that and get the honor that God has for people like that. All right. Here's another thing that I see in the book of Job. I see that things that uh, sometimes start out right kind of turn sour. It's kind of the way things go. Many times, good intentions turn out bad. Job had a lot of good friends, I believe. I believe he had many friends. But at least three of them went to visit Job when he was in trouble. By the way, a friend in need is a friend indeed. If you have a friend that's in trouble, go help him. That's the best time to help. Okay? Now, unfortunately, these men didn't know how to help. They kind of muffed up the job. You know I mean? It was pretty bad. But uh, they, they intended to help okay they intended to do what is right these three men came to comfort Job it says they went came from where, wherever they were maybe a, a fairly good distance but they talked together apparently and they made an appointment and they came to see Job and when they saw Job even before they got there as they saw Job afar off and they saw that Job was stricken I mean Job was he really looked in the dumps. I mean, this man was not very beautiful. He was not his normal, polished, dressed up, you know, kind of person. He was really down. And he was so far down that they were completely taken aback. And it says they were astonished to the point that they had nothing to say. For seven days. Now think about that a moment. 
seven days of awkward silence. Were you ever in a circumstance where you had an awkward silence? And you just wish they'd get over with, you know? I mean, it's like, ooh, awkward, I want to be out of here. Well, this was an awkward silence, to be sure. These men had come and they saw Job and they had nothing to say for seven days. That must have been pretty striking. Most of you can't keep quiet for seven days. Right? Most of you will have something to say before the day is out. Okay? Yeah. These men were struck silent for seven days. Pretty awesome. At the end of seven days... Job was just, he, he had, he added up out up to here. And he knew these men had came to comfort him, but they didn't have a thing to say. And it grieved Job. And Job begins to open his heart and, and say, I don't know, I, I just wish I could die. I just wish I could die. Life is terrible. And that set the tongues of those three men loose. And those three men began to fill in details. I want to warn you. This is something that is a normal thing for human beings. I do it sometimes and I shouldn't. But, and you probably do it sometimes. But beware. When you don't know information, your mind wants to fill in the gaps. We call it dissonance. Harry Argyle talked about that, remember? The pig in the window out there at, uh, at Harmony. Oh, you see that pig in the window. What's that pig in the window? Oh, and you start filling in details. And you might be miles away from the truth. But that's what our minds tend to do. We're, we're problem solvers, you know. And if you don't know, you start filling in the details. Uh, how do you fill in the details? Well, you take what you think you know, and sometimes what you think you know isn't quite right. Okay, beware. You don't always know everything quite right. Okay, but what you think you know starts building a framework. And then, of course, you just fill in the gaps. You know, I mean, if this is true and this is true, well, then obviously there must be a corridor. Right. Obviously. That's exactly what these men did. These men had the opinion that God blesses the righteous. And curses the wicked. And that's partly true. In those days, God did that. He did bless the righteous. And he did curse the wicked. And they, they knew that fact. And that was a fact. But what they didn't understand was that there are circumstances in between that are not according to those facts. Okay? So they said, well, God blesses the righteous, God curses the wicked, and obviously you've been cursed, Job. So obviously you must be what? Wicked? Obvious conclusion? Okay. So Job, it's time to repent. Do you ever get in that mode? I'm afraid I've been there already. The book of Job is here for a warning. 
against doing that. Do not jump to conclusions like that. Okay? Do not. Do not judge someone guilty of that which you do not know for sure. That's dangerous ground to be on. Okay? Well, these men did that. Now, like I said, it's a common thing for you to fill in details. But that doesn't make it righteous. It doesn't make it righteous. I also notice that, uh, and maybe I should read that part here uh, for interest here. Uh, chapter 3, you don't turn to chapter, th- no, chapter 4, excuse me. Job chapter 4. And uh, slip down there to verse 12. This is the Eliphaz, the Temanite. And uh, I, I, I'm presuming that this uh, may have taken place after he met Job, somewhere in the first seven nights, perhaps. I mean, they were there for seven nights, and none of them said anything at all to Job. They were just sitting there, you know, drinking up the, the uh, discouragement, I guess. And, uh, and then Eliphaz says in verse 12, now a thing was secretly brought to me, and in mine ear received a little thereof, in thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falleth upon men. So this would be in his dreams. In my dream, he said, a fear came upon me and a trembling which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, and the hair of my flesh stood up. I mean, you know, this is a hair-raising event, right? It stood still, this form, this spirit, stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes, and there was silence. And I heard a voice saying, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he puts no trust in his servants, and his angels he charges with folly. How much less than them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from the morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die even without wisdom. I'll stop there. I'm not sure if the dream goes on now or not. It's the end of the chapter. I'll just stop there. Would your hair stand up on end if you had that event? I guess mine would too. I don't know for sure about all of this. But it seems... It seems to me that this was an evil spirit that came to Eliphaz. That's how it seems to me. I could be jumping to conclusions here, but I think so. An evil spirit, and perhaps even Satan himself, we do not know. But perhaps. And he begins to throw doubt on the idea of the ability of a man to even be righteous. This evil spirit, I'm going to call him that, seems to be saying, 
You know what? It's a hopeless case for you to try to be righteous. There can be none righteous. Why, God even judges his own angels. He did, right? Through Satan out of that might be some of his bitterness. And then how could you mortal beings made out of clay, not even as high as angels, a little lower than angels, how do you think that you could be righteous before God? It's impossible. Just forget it. It's not going to happen, ever. Well, the point, my point in bringing all of this out is this. Whether I'm right about whether this is a, was an evil spirit or not, I don't know. Whether that was just Eliphaz's mind dreaming, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But one thing I am sure of, and that is, there are evil spirits. Okay? And they are gone out into the world. And they do have things to say that are very, very discouraging. Okay? And John says in the book of First John, First John 5, I think it is, 4 or 5, uh, he says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. For there are many spirits that are gone out into the world. You should try the spirits. When you hear something, when you think a spirit is speaking to you, don't just eat it up. Don't just eat it up. Try them. Test them. Not every spirit is a spirit from God. Now, here's how you know whether it's a spirit from God or not. If that spirit is leading you and guiding you to the purpose for which God created you in the beginning, to worship him, to be in tune with him, and to accept Jesus Christ as Savior, Redeemer of the world. If it's all working toward that end, then that's of God. But if there's something with that spirit that is discouraging and flattening and does not seem to be for that cause, you know what? That's the devil's. Just put it off. Don't listen to that stuff. Okay? I'm telling you that there are spirits in this world and you need to try the spirits. And these men weren't trying the spirits. They grabbed this up. Eliphaz thought, I got a vision. I got a vision from God. And God told me, you're evil. You think you're righteous, Job, but you're evil. You're so stinking righteous in your own eyes, you can't even see your evil. And I'm here to tell you, it's time for you to repent. That's basically in my own language what he said. And then the harangue begins. And this whole big, long argument, each man taking his turn, puts Job in the mud. And Job argues back and says, no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. And we have that long deal. Does stuff like that ever happen today? No, not exactly like this. No. I've never seen another case exactly like this. But yes, 
it does happen. In fact, it might happen a whole lot more than we wish it would. Maybe more than we realize. More than we realize, we set each other at naught and discourage each other and hammer each other when we actually have no cause or righteousness to do so. I want to warn you this morning. Take a look at how God felt about these three friends who came to Job. Job was a man who was trying his best to do what was right. And these three friends were just really cutting him up. And God was not very happy with these three men. In fact, God was more upset with them than they were with Job. In fact, God at the end of this whole book says to them, Now listen, if you want to have anything at all to do with me, I'm going to make you go back to Job and ask Job to be your mediator because I'll listen to Job. I won't hear you anymore. I'll not even listen to your prayers because you have so offended me because you have downed my righteous man and have not said the right things about me. I won't even listen to you unless Job prays for you. If you want to have anything to do with me, you go to Job and ask him to be your mediator and then I'll consider taking something from you. That's how God felt about that. I think you better be pretty careful on that score, right? Well, another thing I notice here is that the righteousness of Job is proved in his willingness to pray for these wretched three friends. These three friends that had grilled him and grilled him and grilled him at the moment when he was at his lowest, they kicked him when he was down. And in his lowness, in his agony, these friends say, will you pray for us? Because God asked us to do that. And Job says, sure, I'll pray for you. And he prays for him. Would you do that? Would you pray for the guy who tore you apart, destroyed your reputation, smeared your name in the mud. I mean, just put you down. Would you turn and pray for that person? God asked that of Job because God knew, because God knew Job could do it. And Job would do it. And the most amazing thing is that the whole thing, this whole thing is a demonstration of this man, Job, this perfect man, who after had gone through all of these things, after having lost everything that he lost. Do you ever lose any more than that? I mean, this, this guy lost his family. He lost his money. He lost his friends. He lost his, the confidence of his wife. He lost everything. He had no one standing with him. I think at the about as low as you can make a man. 
even to the point that his body was all covered with boils. What a wretch! And Job retained his integrity. And he prayed for his enemies. And it says that when Job prayed for his enemies, God turned his captivity. In other words, he proved the point. He went through the entire trial and he proved the point. And after the point was proven, then God steps in and turns the captivity and blesses him abundantly. I mean, Job ends with twice what he had before, as if the first wasn't enough. I mean, he gets everything back and another portion of it. I assure you, I assure you, friends, that God always ends righteously. Now, it might not be in this world. It might not be in this life. And I'm not preaching a wealth and happiness gospel. There's lots of people who died a martyr's death. But I can promise you that they are well requited. God always ends right. Always. Bar none. Here we see it in Job that it ended sweetly, even in this life. And he was blessed abundantly. And he ended up with twice what he had before. That's not a promise. That's not a promise that it will happen in this life. But it is a promise that God will reward those who diligently seek him and are faithful. Yeah, about time to wrap this up. Uh, I'd like to catch yet a few things about Elihu. We haven't talked about him yet. Elihu was a separate individual. Not one of the three. We have Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, who did most of the discussion with Job. And most of the book of Job is about these four guys, you know, going back and forth over all of this. And at the end of the book, we come upon this man called Elihu. And some of you don't know how to put him into the picture, right? I may be wrong about this. I'm making a few assumptions here, but I think perhaps that Elihu was a young man who was watching all of this take place and wandering over it all. And Elihu avoided doing what the three friends did. The three friends condemned Job, even though they had nothing to condemn him with. That's kind of a bad trial, isn't it? I mean, if they could have said, okay, Job, you remember how you treated me when we did that business deal, you know, and and you took advantage of me? No, they didn't have anything like that. that. That didn't happen. They had nothing to show him where he had done wrong. Nothing. But they still condemned him. Pretty unjust trial. Um. Elihu doesn't do that. Do you notice? Elihu didn't do that. What does Elihu do? 
In what way is Elihu totally different than the other characters? Well, Elihu is different in this. First of all, he's a very young man, and he knows he's young. And he says, you know what? I'm young enough. I'm just going to sit and listen. I'm going to listen. I've got a lot to learn, and I'm going to listen. And he listens and listens and listens. And he doesn't say anything until everyone else is finished. Finished. I mean, they had this argument, and they went on and on and on and on and on. And finally, the three guys said, it's hopeless situation, Job's not listening. And when they stopped talking, Elihu says, I just have something I have to share. I'm, I've been observing, and I know I'm young. And, and I know that I shouldn't be telling my elders something. But I'm full. I, I feel that something's wrong here. Something is utterly wrong. First of all, you three men who have taken Job to task haven't given him any reason for your taking him to task. You have not condemned him for anything. You have not shown him where he was wrong. So all your speech is just like hot air. I mean, it's you didn't have any answers. And Job, my problem with you, Job, is... You seem to be blaming God. You actually, I heard you say some things about God. That's rather disturbing. You, you seem to be saying that God is your enemy. Why? Why would you say God is your enemy? Why would you blame God for all of these things? Are you, are you possibly as big as God? I mean, should a man say to his maker, you know, I mean, aren't you, excuse me, aren't you out of, out of order here to be talking like this and blaming God? (laughs) It's kind of good observations, right? And it's basically, I don't know if you've ever caught this or not, but it's basically the same thing that God comes back to Job with. When God comes to, on the picture and says to Job, Okay, Job, where were you if you know all these things? If, you're, if your wisdom is so great, uh, let me have you explain a few things. Can you explain? And then he gives a whole list of stuff, you know. And Job says, Uh, uh, no, I uh, don't have anything to say anymore. And God says, no, 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 none of that. No, no. Stand up like a man. I want an answer from you. Why did you say I'm unrighteous? And Job says, I got it. I totally spoke out of turn. I, I repent. I'm sorry. I, I'm wrong. 
I don't know the whole picture. I'm confused. It doesn't all make sense to me. But you're right. I'm wrong. You're right. God, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. I don't understand. I'd like if you'd explain it to me. If you can explain it, I'll take it. But you're right. I'm wrong. I have no more complaints. Just tell me. That's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Where you really trust God. 100%. Even though you can't explain your circumstance. Job's circumstance had not changed yet. Job was still covered with boils. He still had lost all his family and cattle and everything. Nothing had changed. His grief was just as great as it ever was, except one thing. His perspective had changed. In this moment, his perspective changed. And his perspective was, no, the most foolish thing I've ever done, I had just done. I have blamed God. And I repent. God is not to be blamed. Not to be blamed. Just get it out of your head. I don't know if you have ever blamed God for things. I think I have already. I've repented of it. I don't know if you know other people who blame God for things. I want to tell you something. It isn't God's fault. It isn't. It's just that we don't understand God's ways. We don't understand what all is going on behind the scenes. We are not party to the things that happen in the spirit realm most of the time. Now, in this case, we got a little glimpse behind the curtain, you know. The curtain was pulled back, you know, at the beginning and said, you know, there was a day when the sons of God came before and, and we get to see behind. And so we sort of know the picture a little bit while this is unfolding. And we know Job's not a guilty man, even though everybody's saying he is. But most of the time, you and I don't know that. We aren't party to all of that. We don't have the whole picture. We don't know what all is behind that curtain that's, you know, we just can't see behind. And so a lot of people start blaming God where they should not blame God. And they have bitterness and they say things like, well, if God was a loving God, how could he do this to me? You know, you have a beloved son or something and he gets sick and and dies. And people say, well, if God was a loving God, why would he take my baby from me? I'll never serve a God like that again. I hate him. Well, do you know what you just proved when you do that? You just proved that you're more like Satan than you are like God. You followed an evil spirit in that moment. That evil spirit was what was suggesting all of that to you and you followed it. And you became more like Satan then you were like God. Tragedy. Okay? 
Folks, this happens. I don't know how many people have wrecked their Christian lives because something bad happened to them and they couldn't reconcile it. They didn't know what was going on. And they give up on God and they say, if God's like that, I don't even want to know him. What a foolish, utterly foolish thing to say. You don't know the first thing about the world and all of its things. You can't even explain how the world hangs on nothing. I mean, this ball of earth is out there in space hanging on nothing. And it goes around the sun, you know, every year like clockworks. And you can't tell me why. You don't even under, you don't understand the very beginning fundamentals things of this. Why would you, why would you judge God as being unfair or unkind? You haven't even been the first base. Okay? So people prove by their choices what they're really like. So that means that if you know God, if you know the God that I know and the good God that Job knew, you knew that it was going to come out right. You'd know that. Job, in the middle of his turmoil, in the middle of his struggle, even before God came on the picture, Job said, I know one thing. And that is that when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. And that was in the middle of stuff. He said, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what God's doing to me. I, I must have messed up somehow. I have no clue what I did was wrong. I wish I could know, but I don't. And God is judging me and, and he's purging me and, and I'm... I just wish that I could somehow get in touch with God and find out what I need to change. But but I know one thing. That when God's done with me, it's going to be just gold left. Just gold. Do you know that about God? Do you know that after all of your struggle and heartaches and losses, that the only thing that will remain will be gold. You know, it's people who have been uh, gold prospectors. Some people have gone out west, you know, in years gone by, looking for gold, hoping they'd find gold. And they find something on the earth that uh, looks like gold and it's, it's glittery and it's shiny. It looks like they're... Ooh, this is a real thing. This is a gold nugget. Look what I got here. It looks really... Ooh, I'm going to be rich, you know. And they bring that home. And a wise person will say, uh, Yeah, it looks like gold. But we need to know if it is gold. And you know how you find out whether it is gold or not? You just take that lump of stuff and throw it in the wash water that's filled with lye. You know what lye is? You know that stuff from wood ashes they used to make soap out of and everything? You put you throw it in a pot of lye. And if and and lye is caustic. 
And if it's not gold, your gold will be gone by the morning. Right? I mean, it's going to be just, it's going to eat it up. It won't last. And all the sparkle will be gone. But, but, if it's gold, it'll still be gold tomorrow. Okay? If it's gold, if it's the real stuff, the lie will not affect it. It will, it'll be just as good. It'll be just as big. You won't have lost an ounce of it if it's gold. If it's not gold, your pretty is going to be gone. It won't be pretty anymore tomorrow. Spiritually, are you willing to test your veracity? To test your righteousness? Is your righteousness good enough to stand the test? Put it in the lie. Put it in the lie treatment. If it can take the heat and still be there, it's gold. If you can't take the heat, you can't take the torture. Well, it ain't real. Sorry. You don't have the real thing. Isn't it better to know that up front? I think so. So here's what I want you to take away from this morning. In the book of Job, we see a man whom God says is righteous. A perfect man. We see a man that God is proud about. I mean, God delights in this man. This man is like none other, God says. This is my treasure. And he showcases him. He showcases him. And he's not afraid to test him. He's not afraid to test him like gold because you know what? He knew he'll be gold at the end. Okay? Now, friends, that's where we're all at in various ways. No, we don't have the circumstance that Job had. I'm not as rich as Job. Maybe I couldn't take it if I did have it. But all of us have our own set of circumstances. The question I have for you this morning is, are you a perfect man? By God's standards. Not by your history. Not by Job's history either, by the way. But are you a perfect man because God has made you perfect? Are you perfect because you have repented of all your sins? When you have sinned, thing, you have done something wrong, you said, okay, that's wrong, I'm sorry, I'll just stop doing that. You repent of your sin and you ask God for forgiveness and he gives you freedom. When God makes you perfect, you're perfect, beloved. I mean... If you're born again, you're perfect. I know, I know that you don't like to hear that, but you got to get it. When you're righteous, you're perfect in God's sight. Okay? You're perfect because he made you perfect. And now that you're perfect... God would like to demonstrate you 
God's not into this thing of having his treasures all hidden away where no one can see them. I mean, something as wonderful as a perfect man should be shown to everybody, right? I mean, this is... Hello? I mean, if you have a man like this, everybody ought to sit up and take notice, right? So God's into demonstrating perfection. Is that how you take your trials? The next time you're facing something that just feels like your world's coming apart, remember Job. And remember, God, is, God could well be showcasing you. God is going to take you, eliminate your dross, and let you come forth as pure gold tried in the fire seven times. That's his desire for you, beloved. Not that you should be tested until you fall apart. Not that you should be tested until you can't take it anymore and you give up and you make an allegiance, you know, make an alliance with the devil. By all means not. He has given you the trials and the temptations and the working that they may have their perfect work in making you a perfect man. Like Job. Okay? So don't discourage when things get tough. I think I'll just stop there.